Hello, and welcome back to the fireside with me, Jim. I'm really happy you decided to join me again today for another toasted tale. If you, like me, enjoy hearing stories, then you've come to the right place. I believe there are interesting stories to be found in every subject, just waiting to be picked out and shared. In this podcast, we are going to take a random subject and use it as a seed to do some research for one hour And in that time, I'm going to find a story that hopefully you and I both find enjoyable. So let's bring in the Wheel of Fortune style spinner and find out what today's subject will be. Okay, so today it's landed on the Tabura Report, which I know was a report published by Henry Tabura and J. Glenn Leary in South Africa in the year 1907, tasked with investigating the alleged homosexual behaviour of miners in the Johannesburg gold mines during this time. Now, just for clarity, I am no expert on the Deborah Report. You're not listening to someone who's spoken to the person who wrote it, and I'm not an expert in this particular field. I'm just a guy who likes finding interesting tales and learning a thing about them along the way. So as not to keep you waiting around, I've completed the one hour of research, and I'm actually very excited to share with you what I've found. So like with a lot of these Toasted Tale podcasts, I like to start the stories with a question. But first, a bit of background. When you look at things in life, whether they're people or items, you can break them down to smaller parts. For example, a car, you can break down the wheels, the bodywork, the steering wheel. When you look at people, like your friends, your family, you can break them down into personality traits and the way they like to dress, the way they like to act. Sometimes these traits can be so strong that you may call someone outgoing or optimistic or passionate. But that's because it's a factor of them, it's a part of them. A percentage of a person, and if that percentage is a large part, then it may come to define them. So I like to ask how influential a certain factor of something has to be for it to have a massive effect. Now, the Tabura report was made in South Africa in 1907, and was regarding homosexuality in the gold mines that were prevalent near Johannesburg, and a lot of concerned noises were coming from Christian missionaries who were concerned about immoral behaviour and relationships occurring between miners in these mines near Johannesburg. And so this report was commissioned to find out what was going on. First though, I think it's important to understand the background to this and why gold is such an important factor to the country of South Africa. Before gold was discovered in South Africa, it was like a principally agricultural society. After gold was discovered in the numbers that it was, it became one of the largest gold producers in the world. It played a massive part in the development of the early Republic of South Africa, and even today, is still a major contributor to the economy. Now, whilst China in 2007 has overtaken South Africa as the largest producer of gold. 
South Africa is still estimated to have the largest gold ore reserves in the world at around 40% of the total. Now, it's in the Wilt Watersrand Basin in the north of South Africa where the main area for gold production is in, in South Africa. And it's been mined and there has been mining operations happening in that area for over a century. Now once this was discovered, there was very quickly a great demand for workers, people to work these mines so that gold could be extracted from the ground and money made. And so during the Witwatersrand gold rush in 1886, there were a few different power bases ruling in South Africa at the time. There were the Boer people, people of the Transvaal, and when gold was discovered there were also foreign mining interests, so British mining companies were there. And all of this led to tensions between the Boer people and primarily the British. The people who were there and were in charge of the land at the time in the Transvaal weren't happy of so many foreigners there, and so they started placing voting restrictions and high taxes on the people. And so the British primarily started to sow the seeds of dissent. That would eventually lead to the Second Boer War and the total subjugation of South Africa to the British. With this sudden ramp up in industry, there was of course a great need for workers to go into the mines and extract the gold ore. And for its gold mining, you'd have the white owners who owned the mines, and they would employ mostly black workers, miners, to extract the ore. Temporary migrant workers were a massive part of the operation, and miners emigrated from many of the southern African countries around South Africa to work in these mines, earn money, like a lot of temporary migrant work happens now. They, you travel to where the work is in the hopes of being able to get payments and money, a better life, all that kind of thing. Once again, that's one of those stories that is as old as time. Now, of course, as I, as I previously mentioned, Segregation in the mines was as stark as you can get. South Africa as a nation has had quite a rocky history with segregation between white colonizers who made up mostly the ruling class for a long time and the majority black native Africans who would for a long time, and this was very stark during the apartheid times, would be seen as lower class citizens. And so in these mines you'd have two classes of people, you'd have the owners who would be white European and then the black Africans who would be working the mine extracting the ore and the job conditions as you can imagine were, probably, were very different for the two types of people. Being in those mines would be dark, dangerous, hard work, back-breaking work. There wouldn't be air ventilation that you'd expect now so there'd be little air and this is, of course, all happening under the African sun. So you're underground, which is already warmer, wherever you are in the world. But then you're also in a very hot part of the world. So you can only imagine the conditions that these men would be working under. 
And then of course you have the white managers who wouldn't have to get their hands as dirty, you may want to say. They would be managing the work, earning much better pay, taking many more of the rewards from the output of the mine. So during these stints where migrant workers would come for employment, there would be camps that they would stay in near the mine, which were, as were a lot of things in South Africa, were segregated. So for the white managers, workers, you'd have much better facilities. And for the black migrant workers working in the mine, these places of accommodation would often more closely look like prison camps. Or maybe some of the nice ones would be kind of named hostels and resemble closer to army barracks with slightly better facilities. But that happened maybe later on when the focus was more on making things more equal. In the early times, they weren't very good at all. They were, as I said, more closely to prison camps. I only mentioned that the conditions in these mines got better more recently because a lot of these descriptions came from a June 9th, 1981 New York Times article where they were talking about how even in a country where the segregation was lessening in the mines it was still a very segregated industry and because it employed so many people and was such an important pillar that the country of South Africa based its economy on there was pressure from many areas to offer more and take into consideration the hopes and dreams of the worker, the black worker, migrant worker who maybe wanted to progress in their lives and not be stuck in a mine without proper pay or recognition forever. So the gold industry was a big deal in this country. At its height, it employed in the hundreds of thousands of workers and majority black migrant Africans would be working stints for months on end in segregated camps where they would be working hard, wouldn't be seeing their families for long periods of time and of course this can create issues. So of course this report, the Tabera report, was to look into concerns by Christian missionaries of homosexual behaviour in the gold miners in South Africa. And so I think it's probably a good thing to understand a bit more about the attitudes that a lot of African nations have had towards homosexuality in the past. And to say that Africa has had a chequered history with homosexuality does it a bit of a disservice. Even today, there are many nations in Africa that do not recognize homosexuality as a acceptable lifestyle. There are a number where you can be imprisoned for getting into a homosexual marriage, and others where there are the death penalty given to those engaging in homosexual acts. And so, throughout the years, there have been many African leaders of countries who have denounced homosexuality, believing that it was a white European importation to Africa during the colonial times. To give you a better idea, from the words of President Daniel Arab Moy of Kenya, who was president of the country between 1978 and 2002, quote, 
Words like lesbianism and homosexuality do not exist in African languages, end quote. And in previous Kenya's principal immigration officer, Frank Kuanga, agrees, saying, quote, homosexuality is morally unacceptable in our country. Another former president of another country, Tanzania, in Africa, Julius Nayeli, who was president between 1964 and 1985, who was actually admired for his progressive views on a range of issues at the time, argued that homosexuality is a phenomenon alien to Africa, and that in Africa, therefore, there are no grounds for homosexuals or lesbians to be defended against discrimination. This was from an interview that was recorded in 1974, which was actually cut from the full interview that was recorded, but was kept anyway, which is why we know about it. This may have been because he was ill-informed rather than just discriminatory, but it still shows the feelings of homosexuality and lesbianism for a lot of people in Africa. What I do find interesting, though, is the idea that homosexuality was a Western import. It was a phenomenon that came from colonialization, and that it didn't exist in Africa before then, almost as if it was a new factor added into the makeup of the continent before European powers colonized countries. Now, there's been recordings of behaviours in many parts of the world of people of the same gender being very fond of each other and behaviours that may be attributed to those who now identify under the LGBTQ flag but there weren't words for it like there were in maybe some western countries and so the idea of homosexuality as a set idea and definition may first have been introduced when people were colonizing areas of Africa, but by no means at all is there any evidence to suggest that the continent of Africa before colonists arrived was devoid of homosexuality at all, because for the whole of the world there has been evidence of this, and that is natural. I also found interesting that there is this idea that homosexuality is a import, but also the fact that the idea of being homophobic may also be an import that came from Western colonizers. With the addition of large amounts of Christian missionaries coming to Africa to convert the native populations to Christian values from Britain, America, and other European Christian nations, the idea of homosexuality being a sin and other negative connotations to that lifestyle will have been introduced and there may have been negative connotations before to that way of being but that the idea of homophobic beliefs and ideas was added with the colonizers as well i do find interesting that on one hand they can have the idea that being gay or lesbian was introduced by colonists and also the hatred of gays and lesbians is also something that was added by colonists. Now I make that distinction because once again while doing the research 
I read quotes and extracts from leaders of African countries who led fights to break away from the rule of European empires and fought against, for example, the British to gain their independence. For example, in Zimbabwe under Robert Mugabe, there was the understanding that homosexuality was un-African, and so he was able to use that in speeches to gather support against the non-Africans in the country and use it to forward the independence movement. But then on the other side of that, wasn't able to maybe make the connection that the ability to be homophobic is surely from that logic must also be un-African. So if the idea of being homosexual is a European import, and also the ability to be homophobic is also a Western import, then surely both of those can't work together, especially if you're using only one of them to use the hate to gather more support for your political ambitions to get independent rule from Western powers. I just feel like that dichotomy incongruent. They don't really work together very well. But it shows you the ideas at the time. And these were being spoken about in the 70s and 60s. And so you can imagine that a report being written in 1907 may have even stronger views against homosexuality. So it was in this year, 1907, where Henry Taber and his co-writer Jay Glenn Leary, after continued complaints by local missionaries, where they took offence to immoral behaviour they suspected was happening in gold mines near Johannesburg, resulted in them both being asked to investigate these alleged behaviours and report back. Over a nine-day period, testimonies were gathered from 54 African and European witnesses, and both they found that the questions being asked and answers given were remarkably explicit about sexual activity and motivations around the minors surrounding potential homosexual behaviour. Now, from these answers, both men were made aware that there were indeed minors who took wives of sometimes younger male minors and got into relationships with them where not only sexual but also domestic duties were provided and relationships were formed within these camps to fill the needs that were maybe left unfulfilled when these men were working away from their homelands, their communities, and sometimes families for so long. There are often side industries that pop up around settlements and areas where there is a high concentration of people, and they are often set up to fit the needs of those they are preparing to serve. Now, these camps, full of men away from everyone they knew, one of the industries that will have been operating, possibly unlicensed and maybe illegally, would have been prostitution and brothels, there to provide service to the workers of the mines. Now, in the interviews and research, there was the understanding 
through the answers given by these minors that those who chose to go into homosexual relationships with other minors felt safer and at a lower risk of venereal disease than those who decided to sleep with women. And answers like this, as we'll see in a moment, play into some of the recommendations that were given in the Tabera report. For example, when Tabera and Leary proposed solutions to the homosexual relationships that they found were indeed happening in these mines, some of the proposed solutions were, for example, allowing the wives of these men to migrate with the minors, and also allow widespread prostitution to be allowed near these camps. I don't know whether it's surprising or not, but it has to be said that most of these recommendations were rejected when the report was put in. The only change that was taken forward from this report were that the screens around beds where the miners slept were to be banned throughout all industrial compounds in South Africa. So rather than make things easier for the miners, they decided to take away the privacy of the miners instead, which I think is an interesting window into the psyche of those making decisions at the time. Certainly plays into the segregation between those who've got the power and those who don't. It also has to be noted that Tambora and Leary themselves, if you are to put them under the lens, their neutrality can definitely be questioned. Homosexuality was of course a sensitive subject at the time, and it was a country that was heavily Christian, and so there would have been pressure to get the type of answers that may have fit the script of the time. Later it's been found that the approach they both used for collecting certain parts of the information, there were areas that were omitted and edited so as to maybe fit the expectations of the officials involved. And also, and this is a maybe a bit unfair, because at the time these thoughts and feelings were quite normal, but there were definite judgmental undertones in the report about the people they were discussing, and also racism definitely played a part. It is also interesting and must be taken into consideration that all this research was done over nine days, and there was only 54 testimonies gathered in a working population that was in the tens of thousands at least. And so, as reports go, it probably wouldn't hold up too well if a modern research team was going to attempt to recreate it. It'd probably be done a lot better. And it is interesting that the report was largely dismissed in its suggestions, but it does show dynamics that existed in a very harsh time for certain workers in South Africa, and also that moral pressures from religion, society, and government were so interested in the decisions by workers in one of their biggest industries that they were willing to pay and give over time of two well-paid officials to investigate homosexuality in gold mines. 
I feel I only scratched the surface of many of these subjects. And that entire podcast could be made on each. But that is all you get when you give yourself one hour of research time. So I want to thank you again for choosing to spend your time with me listening to this Toasted Tale podcast. And I hope you found the story I was able to tell today as interesting as I found it doing the research for it. If you'd like to join me again for another story around the fireside, then I will be back here every Tuesday and Thursday at around 6pm. Your company would of course be greatly welcomed. I hope you all have a lovely rest of day, and I look forward to speaking to you again soon for another toasted tale by the fireside.